Hi, I'm Dawn Kendall. And I'm Alex Howarth. And this is the Yoga Life Podcast. Thank you for joining me today on the Yoga Life Podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Catherine Rolfe. Catherine is a 500-hour British Wheel of Yoga qualified teacher who has undertaken additional trainings in a number of topics, including mindfulness, meditation, pranayama. She teaches Hatha-style practice infused with Buddhist teachings and offers an inclusive staged staged approach. Can't speak today, not good. Catherine is passionate about the transformative power of yoga. Through classes, bespoke sessions and retreats, she offers a holistic experience of yoga to support well-being on and off the mat. Catherine aims to teach with warmth, warmth, mindfulness, kindness and hopes to help students in experience the joy, empowerment and solace that she has found with yoga. I will probably re-record that after <laughs> we're done. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, Alex. Oh, thanks so much for joining me, Catherine. It's lovely to, to meet you kind of in, on, in real life online. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all a bit used to that now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how many people I've now met just on Zoom. Um, so Catherine, you are also joining me at the yoga festival in August, which is so exciting. And I can't wait to hear more about what you're going to be offering, but to begin with, could you tell me just a bit more about how your yoga journey started? What got you into it? What then pushed you to become a teacher? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always say that my yoga journey, I'm indebted to a very wise and generous friend who I'm still friends with now. And she got into yoga first. And she's like, you've got to come, you must come. And I said, very stereotypically, I said, no, I'm too busy. I'm too busy <laughs> to yoga. She said, you're very stressed. Yes, I'm too busy. <laughs> um, so she, I guess in her own way, staged an intervention. And she bought me two private sessions with her yoga teacher as a birthday present. So I kind of had to go. Um, and I went and yeah, the, then here we are now, really. Um, I absolutely love those two first sessions. Um, it kind of felt like I'm sure a lot of people can identify it kind of just felt like coming home in some way um, so yeah I started going to classes then um, and then I guess I was kind of drawn to go a little bit deeper um, I had a really stressful period in my life um, a lot of loss um, and a health scare and a lot of things going on and my yoga teacher's friend, who was another yoga teacher, was offering a mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And I thought, you know what, this is something that I need to do. Uh, and I did that. And again, found it really transformative, um, really deepened my practice and changed a lot of things. And it was a big step in really experiencing yoga off the mat, I would say. And when that finished, I was like, I need something else to hold me accountable <laughs> now. So I just up and did a foundation course with the British Wheel of Yoga, which again, I just loved. And by that point I was like, well, I guess if I train to teach yoga, I'll definitely be held accountable. I'll have to really walk the walk if I'm gonna teach. So that was kind of my way into doing the teacher training. Um, and then it's just gone from there really. Oh, amazing. So how long have you been teaching now? um it's a couple of years now um I we started in the course that I did we started teaching relatively early on in the course so it could be sort of experiential learning 
Um, and then I actually got my, I, I finished, it was monthly sessions in London, but the last session was actually uh, early on in the pandemic. Yeah. So my last no session way. was on Zoom. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, but a couple of years, maybe coming up for three now. I, I, we were just saying, where does the time go? Yeah. Lost track entirely. How many years ago was it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Amazing. Gosh, to do your final exam on Zoom. What a nightmare. Oh, well, I'm lucky. It was the final group session I'd already done. I was very lucky. I'd actually done my Assess Teach live. I was one of the last ones to get to do it live. So, yeah. (laughs) That's so fortunate. So fortunate. Uh, it's, It's been amazing, really, how so many courses have now shifted online just because it makes so much sense. No one wants to do that travel. Yeah, I think it's a balance, um, like everything in yoga, really. There's and there's um, a lot that we can take both ways. I do my own practice with my teacher, attend class online myself now. Um, but equally, um, I still love to teach face to face. And I think it's given people a real appreciation of the outdoors and practicing outdoors as well. So I think lots of different things have come out and we've realised that there's so many more different ways we can teach, which is lovely. Yeah, absolutely. It just creates so much more freedom and just scope to create, scope to be and yeah, looking for new places to go. And everyone's just so open to anything these days. And it's great. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. A good reset in lots of ways. Yes, absolutely. So with uh, at the festival, you're going to be one of the yoga teachers working from the Zen tent, which I have dubbed it. It might now have to stick, as I've said it on the podcast, (laughs) probably more than once now. Uh, But the Zen Zen tent is going to be a super, as you as it says in the tin, Zen place all day. We've got loads of different uh, teachers offering things such as women's circles. We've got pranayama work, we've got meditations, loads of different, very chilled out vibes. And it's going to be wonderful. And um, Catherine's going to be teaching more along the mindfulness stuff and the meditation. And so I wanted to kind of discuss for, for you, what are you, when you're teaching, what are the benefits of mindfulness? What do you really try and get across to your clients? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think my teaching of mindfulness permeates um, my teaching of, you know, what we might think of as the more traditional yoga class as well. You know, so every yoga class I teach, we have a mixture of breathing um, and posture work and relaxation, but there's always a mindful element. And I think in its simplest terms or a way of thinking about mindfulness is it's, it's, conscious uh, placement of the mind on something of our choosing and I actually I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Cindy Lee um, and she infuses uh, she brought together a lot of yoga teaching with Buddhist teaching um, and she talks about um, vinyasa if we think about what it means is special placement um, and so if we think about meditation is like special placement of the mind um, and we're always placing our mind on something Uh, we're just not always conscious of what we're placing it on Um, and this is like a conscious placement uh, a special placement of the mind of something on our choosing and that's I think getting to the heart of what mindfulness is Um, and so we do that really through every yoga class don't we if we think about it Um, and we're often using our body as a vehicle for that obviously the breath Um, and then you know and then that that can transport into whether you're doing pranayama which obviously has it, is, a, is, a, is a different section of yoga, but there's that common thread, you know, of it's a conscious placement of our mind. Um, and then meditations, you know, we've got lots of things that we can choose to place our mind on. 
but it's just becomes then a powerful tool throughout your day um so for me it's very much a way that you can notice where your mind is throughout the day when you're not on your mat um, and when you're not doing meditation inverted commas sitting cross-legged as it were um yeah so we can be on a walk whatever it is but you can notice where your mind is and awareness is the first step yeah absolutely dawn and i go on and on and on and on and on there should be more ons about this in i think every single episode of the podcast it's just that you can implement anything within yoga as much as you want you can implement anything into your life as much as you want but if you're not mindful of your behaviors or your mindset at that given point you're going to really really struggle without it yeah i completely agree yeah it's uh it's definitely something to hone and it's also understanding that that practice on the mat transfers to off the mat as well yeah i think i love that um so i mean it yeah I, when we we talked about it being a zen tent and it's absolutely going to hopefully be this really peaceful place but also i think sometimes we misconstrue or people can get the wrong idea that it, to meditate they're going to have to be really chill and really calm and actually it's 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 not really the aim actually it's about um well one of the mindfulness uh, meditation shamatha it means calm abiding being okay with what is um but coming back to i am coming back around to taking off the mat when we do that when we consciously keep noticing when our mind has left our object of choosing which it will because the mind secretes thoughts like the body secretes sweat it's gonna happen but every time we notice and we replace it where we want it's like a little bicep curl for the mind and we're building that strength and so really we come back to thinking that the benefits of uh mindfulness meditations is clarity stability and strength of mind and you're absolutely right you develop that in your practice and then you take that out into the world um, and it's the same with the other meditation techniques you know like love and kindness might tree those things it's not just about those 10 minutes those 20 minutes however long two minutes whatever it is you've got um it it, it goes with you um and then you start to have little do your little bicep curls of the mind during the day <laughs> as it were yep. as well love that absolutely love that you reminded me of something when uh, you said at the beginning how meditation isn't necessarily meant to be calming and I think the real the realization that I'm not meant to be calm while I'm meditating it's the meditation is so I'm calm when I'm not meditating and it just sh shifted it completely and a friend of mine she doesn't I'm using quotation marks doesn't enjoy meditation because she finds it really frustrating and her practice lately has been trying to remove the emotion and the attachment to what she thinks meditation should be so that she can just sit not with this oh I hate doing this vibe it's just trying to remove that emotion from it and just be instead yeah absolutely I mean I heard a quote just this morning um that was I think it's from uh, Rangan Chatterjee, who I'm a massive fan of. Um, and he's, I think it, I'll probably get it slightly wrong, but only when we accept where we actually are, can we change? That's, you know, that's the paradox, isn't it? And I think also, um, yeah, lots of things with what you've just shared there. Um, yeah, people think it should be about an emptying of thoughts. So that's not possible. You know, you will always be thinking while you're alive, you will be thinking and that's okay um and it's and also if you if you didn't have that if you hadn't if your friend hadn't sat down to meditate then she never would have known that she had millions of thoughts um so 
And also for a while, her meditation practice might be noticing, oh, there, oh, there I am hating meditation again. That's interesting. <laughs> and I come back to my breath. Oh, there I am feeling annoyed again. Okay, and I come back to my breath. And that's okay too. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, I think Cindy Lee tells this story where she goes, she has a meditation one day and she finds it really like a transcendent experience. And she's really excited. And she goes to her teacher and she tells him, and she's thinking, wow, this, you know, this must be what I was waiting for. And he says, no big deal. And she's like, oh. And really, because it's like, okay, that, that was a, you know, if we're going to say that's a good one and get really excited about it, then we're going to beat ourselves to the stick when it's, in fact, comma is not a good one. Yeah. It's not about that. It's it's just calm abiding, being what, with whatever, whatever yeah. is, and whatever comes up, no big deal. I think it's a, I think it does definitely, once people realize it's not about emptying your mind of thoughts, then I think it's a game changer. <laughs> it Absolutely. I think that's the first step. And also realizing that not every, you can't label meditation as good or bad ever. Exactly. It's just, it just is. And as soon as you remove that uh, constant thing, which we as a society have of getting better, what is next? How am I going to make this better in some way, shape or form? As soon as you start to remove that, and it it just is, it just is sitting and noticing your thoughts and coming back to your focus point. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I've got no expectation on this anymore. Yeah, I think it's that striving thing, isn't it? And um, again, not to you know keep quoting Cindy Lee, but like I say, I just think <laughs> cool. But he says it's successful as long as you sat on the mat, you know, and did the practice, that's successful practice. Yeah. What happens during that time, as long as you sit there and you do the time that you're gonna do, that's a successful practice. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, yeah. It's a, it's just like lifting those weights, you know, every day. You, it's that discipline and keep returning and yeah and like you say it just is and um and eventually as you said you'll start to notice those benefits probably off the meditation cushion <laughs> yeah i rarely 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 do i feel on the meditation cushion that i have achieved anything <laughs> not that i'm supposed to be either yeah. it's but i can't think of another word to describe it on the cushion i'm never like that was great or oh i'm really <laughs> liking this or anything like that it's just it is whereas off the mat it's where like oh that's actually just not hit me any way that i thought it would or i don't actually feel the need to react or i feel like i should be stressed people tell me i should be stressed but i'm actually okay and it's it's those kind of things that it, it, that's where it has the knock-on effect being able to take a breath when your partner said something stupid and you're just like cool okay and you come at it from a reasonable angle rather than a ridiculous one and it's it's that stuff that that's where it makes the biggest difference for me and when I'm starting to get reactive or irritated or stressed that's when I'm like oh I need to get back to my cushion yeah completely so for me yeah thanks for sharing that again because what I really hear there it and it makes me think of is it's yeah it's about us responding rather than reacting and um I've written about this a little bit on on one of my blogs but um again you may be familiar with um Viktor Frankl and his book yes. Man's Search for Meaning and what, oh my god yeah where he says you know between stimulus and response is a space 
And in that space, we have um, the power to choose, you know, um, something again, I'll have misquoted it. Paraphrasing. It's an amazing book. It is an amazing, it's horrific. Don't read it while you're eating would be my advice. It put me full off my breakfast one morning because it's so heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. You cannot believe these people, what they went through, but it is an incredible book. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. You can just take so much from it, can't you? Totally. Um, And when he talks about that space and in that space is where we have our power, as you were saying, meditation, it opens up that space. I mean, for me, it even uh, got me to the realization that space even existed. (laughs) And then, and then it opens that space up and you do have, and that's really empowering in itself. Um, And yeah, I think it's, and that realization that you're not your thoughts um, is just massive, I think. Um, and again, just permeates so many, many, you know, many aspects of our lives. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent, um, agree. And I think, but as you were saying, when you think, or you notice I need to get back on my cushion, really try, I'm really passionate about trying to help people find a way to make this into their daily life. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that we often be like, oh, people can think I need to find this big amount of time to do it. And I'll do it when I've got this big amount of time. And I, um, I love this idea. And this is from um, a psychotherapist called Anna Matha. I may have pronounced her surname wrong. But she says about like self-care, you know, if you were absolutely, you know, so thirsty and parched in the desert, would you, if you just found the tiniest bit of water, would you be like, oh, no. I'll wait until I can have the most big drink because that's what I really need. No, you would have the tiny sip because that would be something until you can get the big drink. And I think we have to find those ways to keep having those daily sips. Um, so I'm really interested and um, I'm a bit of a geek, but I've listened to and read quite a lot about creating like behavioral change and habit building. And I'm really passionate about just start where you are, even just, you've got to make it so easy for yourself to be able to do it every day. Even if it's two minutes, make two minutes, that is you being successful, you know, um, even if it's two minutes, doesn't have to be 10, doesn't have to be five, doesn't have to be 20. And from that two minute seed, you know, even on the busiest day, you will find those two minutes. Um, and then on the days where it's less busy there, you know, there'll be more, you might find there's more time. And you might find sometimes that two minutes just naturally extends, but just set the bar really, really, really low for yourself. <laughs> a, a daily habit, because I actually really believe that doing a small amount every day is actually, it, again, it's like going to the gym. You know, it, we, we might go to a, a meditation retreat and you know, it's a whole day or maybe a weekend or whatever and be like, cool, that's done. But imagine if you just did all your fitness on like one day for the whole month. You're like, right, done now. <laughs> well, you'd feel lousy after that, probably. Um, and it wouldn't get you any fitter, would it? And no. Just doing a little bit every day. And I really believe this is the same. Oh, there's such good analogies. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, totally. I've been um, saying to my members for ages that they should, if they can, when they pull up at work or when they pull up at home after work, just those that moment in the car, you switch the engine off, just sit, sit back, close your eyes. I mean, it's it's just the perfect like it it fits into life it's that natural pause in your day anyway you've gone from a to b just extend that pause two minutes and get oh, it in i love it alex we're totally on the same page here How, are you familiar with a guy called bj fogg 
No. Okay. Should so, I be? Yeah, you would love it. So he's got this book called Tiny Habits. It's brilliant. And you've just naturally done so he's a he's a Stanford professor looking at how we can build these habits and you've just naturally done a lot of what he well, you know what he he talks about in that you've attached you've encouraged your students your clients to attach the behavior onto something they naturally already do and then it becomes like automatic um so we don't want to have to think about it you don't have to think oh when am I going to meditate what am I going to do so he has these little things he calls them like habit recipe cards so he's like after I have, and it's something that you naturally do, like you said in your day, like turn the ignition off, or mm-hmm. you know, um, I will then, and then you decide what the thing you're going to do, and you have to make the thing you're going to do nice and simple, really achievable, like what you've just said, just you know, four breaths, you know, um, yeah. whatever. But if you attach it to something, like you say, it becomes part of your daily life. It doesn't have to be like a big thing you have to find time for because you just won't. I mean, Mm-mm. I'm the same. <laughs> I'm not taking all this from some lofty place. I'm exactly the same. Um, so yeah, attaching these things is just just perfect. And and thinking that it has to be a long amount of time, like um, for another analogy for you, and this one again is borrowed by Ron, from Ronkin Chatterjee, but he's like, we underestimate um, like how much just a small amount of something can do. So if I said to you, um, you know, I'm going to want you to, I don't know, really um, an unhealthy habit like, eat as many donuts as you can for five minutes every day or <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Or chug down as many, you know, unhealthy drinks as you can for five minutes every day or smoke as many cigarettes as you could for five minutes every day. By the end of a week, you, and I said to you, do you think it's going to make any difference? You'd be like, yeah, I'm probably going to notice that I don't feel so great for doing that. But if I said, oh, just find five minutes to do something positive each day, you'd be thinking, oh, that won't make any difference. But it totally yeah, weird. It totally does. Cool, we're a negative lot, aren't we? <laughs> how depressing i think um again that is our natural negativity bias but there is also the we know the effects with the the effects of eating donuts smoking cigarettes drinking x amount of shots the negative effects of them are so well known they are everywhere pushed down our throat all of the time whereas the positive effects of mindfulness are so much well they're so subtle aren't they they're not in your face like well if you meditate five minutes every day you're going to lose two stone whereas if you eat five donuts every day uh, you're going to gain two stone you know <laughs> it's almost the the results aren't tangible you can't see them people can't grasp what's actually going to happen I know that's really it's yeah. just prob- why I think that it's harder to grasp with mindfulness because people are just like well what do I actually get why am I giving up this already very precious time I really hear what you're saying because I think it goes back almost takes us back to what we were first saying about you know you can go on the meditation and you don't necessarily feel more relaxed you don't necessarily feel like it was a great thing you know especially like take back to your students like I hate this why am I doing this whereas if if you were going to go do a five minute guided relaxation you you know that's different and you would feel that afterwards like you say you don't you're not going to get that you don't get that immediate gratification perhaps is the way to look at it um and to take it back to building a behavioral habit um bj fogg talks about how you need to have some kind of celebration of having done the habit um to help you entrench it It, this is shown like in 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 neuroscience that it would help you build that habit Mm -hmm. and um and i think again maybe he talks about things like 
you know high five yourself or like go me or and I think I mean he's American and I think culturally we're not as good as that sort of thing we're like whoa that sounds cringe I can't high five myself like whoa but you could I definitely do that all the time (laughs) but you know um, but it's different for different people you know it could your celebration could be that you put a little tick in a box on a chart and you don't want to break your run because you're that kind of which is the most satisfying feeling in the world by the way exactly or like if you're visual you know putting a coffee bean in a jar and watch it you've got to have some way to celebrate it to help wire it in because I completely agree with you there isn't that immediate uh feedback whether it's positive or negative like if we take the donut thing we probably feel a bit sick after five minutes of concentrated donut eating maybe I don't know god I don't think I'd love it uh the the thing with the reward isn't it with the teeth cleaning because they they got people it was an American company that um commercialized essentially toothpaste and originally it didn't froth I think and it wasn't a satisfying mouth feel but because they introduced the froth and the fact that afterwards your teeth feel so much clearer those two things are the reward because it's satisfying feeling in your mouth and you have a satisfying feeling afterwards and that is what created the habit or the the reward so people were then more likely to create the habit of cleaning their teeth love it yeah isn't that depressing that is why toothpaste don't we (laughs) we need something that makes our teeth feel good to make to make us meditate <laughs> but it is essential it's as simple as that you need something after if you uh don't need to watch your diet then maybe just having some some tiny little chocolate like a chocolate covered coffee bean one after those every time you meditate yes you get one of those or some tiny little reward that you really enjoy please don't take something up like smoking oh after i meditate i get a cigarette <laughs> I'd be really sad. Finding something to market, finding something to celebrate it so that you keep with it long enough that you then do start to experience the benefits. And then it becomes a bit of an experiment because inevitably you might miss um, a morning or if you're doing it in the morning, and then you think, ah, oh, today I was a bit more reactive actually, or, you know, oh yeah, I, I don't feel quite so you know, good in myself somehow. And I think so eventually, yeah, it's keeping yourself on track in those early, early days, but a big part of that, like I say, set the bar really low so you can be successful. You know, don't say to be successful, you need to sit there for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, let it be two minutes to start with. You can all find those two minutes. Absolutely. There is a lot of stigma around where you have to do at least 20 minutes for it to count. You have to do an hour and a half every day. And it's it's quite an old belief now. I think it's, it's there's been enough research into this stuff to know that even a short amount of time every single day or even two, three times a week. We keep saying every day. It doesn't have to be every day if that's unrealistic to begin with. It can be just a few times a week and then you slowly will find you naturally build from there anyway. Yeah, it's about um, passionate about um, you need to meet people where they are, you know, don't and, and remove as many obstacles as we can to help people, um, you know, start on these journeys. And um, don't get me wrong, I love a 20 minute meditation. Um, and I think there is some other science that says, you know, an optimum amount each day is 12 minutes um, for you to get a lot of the benefits. But as we just said, if you don't start, you're never going to get any of the benefits anyway so exactly (laughs) you just got to start where you are um and that like you say that might and and 
I think if it doesn't work to start with, um, to use another analogy from BJ Frog, it's about, it's like, think of it like a garden. It wasn't, you know, it just, you found the wrong place for it in the day. You planted it in the wrong spot. It wasn't a good spot for it. It didn't thrive there, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean it's a bad plant. Uh, it just means you need to pop it somewhere else in your garden and it might thrive somewhere different. So you play around with the time of day you try it um, and all of those different things. Um, and just, yeah, but absolutely. And that's why I'm not dogmatic. I used to be more dogmatic. I've got a lot less dogmatic about whether people want to use an app or different things like that. Now, I love things like uh, Shamata mindfulness meditation where we're just using the breath or love and kindness where we're just you know we you can learn it because it's quite simple and coming back to those things because one of the things in my own journey with yoga is that I love that I don't need anything like I, you don't have to have anything you, you don't even need your mat you know you just need you um, and you can access these places like we said in yourself of calm of control of awareness so empowering you know and so I prefer not to practice with the device um, or to need anything. But if you find to begin with that helps you start, brilliant, use it, you know, and it, you'll go on your own journey with it. So yeah, I'm definitely not dogmatic about it has to be 20 minutes, it has to be without a device. I think there are advantages to doing longer, there's advantages to being without a device for sure, but start where you are. It's so exactly. I think it depends where I'm at in so many different ways. If I've got a lot on, I'm better off using an app and a device and having a guided something. Whereas if I'm in a pretty, like, you know, life's pretty good right now, easy, blah, 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 then I'm much more inclined to just do it myself. And it just, I just kind of have to listen to where I'm at at the time and do what's right. Brilliant. Absolutely. And that, and you know, that's probably changed for you, I guess, over time and it might still carry on yeah. changing. And that, all of that is brilliant because it's a lot better than not doing it at all, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It's funny that you say about being dogmatic, because I remember when I first started teaching yoga, I was very much like, no, we do it like this, you do it like that, you do it like the other, and stuck to these things. And as I, what, I'm now eight years, nine years down, and it's just, just got to do what's right for you. <laughs> find find what fits, because that's what's important. And yeah. yeah, it's I love how it's so different for everyone, and it's almost fascinating hearing how every part of yoga is so different for everyone and let's embrace that let's celebrate that let's learn from that and share all of these different practices and sod my rules <laughs> I want to know about everyone's rules <laughs> yeah, definitely I mean I was um I was lucky enough I did a course with yoga campus uh last year a comprehensive history of yoga and because I wanted to know a little bit more um, yeah I like going a bit a bit deeper on things and what really struck me because like often sometimes in yoga we get into this always oh, this real yoga um, and we have these these conversations but what struck me um, and it's reflected on in the course is how much yoga has changed even in what we think of as inverted commas original or authentic or real yoga and how it was constantly changing depending on you know, what was happening at the time and different um, through the different centuries, what different cultures were picking out of it and that what they were developing and what part appealed with what fitted at the time. Um, and it's still evolving now. And I think that weirdly made me a little bit less dogmatic as well, actually. Mm. Um, and it gave me a totally different perspective on these conversations. Um, and just also learning um, how there is some even 
crossover. They're learning now all the time about um, who were the who were the actual authors of some of these texts and where are the Buddhist influences and you know how it's all in the mix. So I think yeah, I think it's it's yeah yeah it's it's ever evolving. And the main thing is for me it's um, you know teaching now um, it's it's for myself but also to be of service and to hopefully um, help others. I think it's like you say, it's about meeting people where they are and whatever is going to help them where they are in that moment and what suits them. And that there is a jump on point for everybody. Yes. Agreed. Completely agree. And there is that whole thing with the what's real, authentic yoga, et cetera, et cetera. But if we look at what yoga is now, predominantly taught by women, whereas originally yoga was taught only by men and only done by men, I, that in itself is such a huge shift why are we still trying to hold on to what was it's it's just not that anymore we need to almost practice our non-attachment <laughs> and embrace yoga for what it is now instead yes absolutely we need to hold on for, to those roots we need to continue to learn from that ancient practice because my god it's genius but by trying to hold on to something so many people are just going to miss out on this amazing thing yeah, and I think it's people go on a journey. You know, they might start with something very, very, a very physical practice, and and then stay and and find something else in it, um, or not. Yeah, and that's okay too. Um, I want to pick up on something you said there, like the genius of it as well, because um, for me as well, like the flip side of you know what we've been saying is what I love so much now is how much. Um, modern day science and neuroscience and it's basically kind of showing yeah it's all yoga basically it's all yoga. Yoga. when you're a yoga teacher you're like that's yoga i sit i say that in my head all the time all um, the time it's showing us to be true under our modern science lens all this stuff that these guys just worked out by going into a forest and thinking about it a lot i mean it blows my mind i love it you know um there's some stuff and science now and the science of mindfulness and neuroscience is such amazing people out there um david hamilton david hamilton looking at all the kindness science of kindness and different things like that the stuff that like ruby wax has brought to the fore talking about you know neuroplasticity and then rick hansen all these really really cool people and it, they basically bear out so much stuff that patanjali wrote how long ago i know um, I used to, I, <laughs> or even um James Nestor now with all his work that he's done on breath and I mean most of that book I'm like yep that's yoga yep 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 yoga yeah. yoga yoga and talk what they've shown about um Nadi Shodhana alternate nostril breathing I mean it blows my mind that these ancient truths you know are so yeah. incredible just, it I'm is like, it's just genius and it fascinates me but you read any modern psychology book you're just like yoga yoga <laughs> I'm glad it's yoga. not. I thought it was yoga. No, I feel really condescending when someone's trying to explain something to me and I'm like, yes, yeah, yoga. They're like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I thought it was just me. I'm so, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. No, totally not. It's definitely all yoga. And we're, it's weird that we're only now catching up to something that is already thousands and thousands of years old. Yeah, but if we can share this knowledge in a very approachable, realistic way, then wonderful. Let's get it out there. Yeah, I completely agree. Definitely. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad we're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> 
so can you, you spoke about it a few times now. And so I really want us to dive into it because I cannot believe how much time has passed already, which is lovely. Uh, could you tell me a bit more about loving kindness meditations, also known as meta meditations? Oh, yeah. So if we think about loving kindness, uh, yeah, like you said, sometimes known as meta, sometimes known as Maitri. Um, and as also we've touched upon, um, lots of different versions of the practice. So I'll describe the practice that um, I tend to teach, um, that I've been taught, but there are lots of variations. So this is a form of um, contemplative meditation um, from Buddhist teachings. And so whereas um, a sort of mindfulness meditation in, in Buddhist teaching is a sort of awakening practice, um, this would be one that we do with our eyes closed, we're going inwards. And we talked about how we're always um, consciously, we're, we're always placing our mind and we are looking to consciously place our mind on something of our choosing. And we also talked about how we're always thinking. So we're gonna consciously place our mind on thoughts of our choosing. And going back again, really links nicely to everything we've said, <laughs> Yoga Sutras, Patanjali talks about if we focus on, I think it's the qualities of the heart, we can cultivate those qualities, they will blossom. Yeah, I think it's friend, it depends on the translation, but friendliness, yeah. compassion, joy, those qualities blossom when we focus on them. And modern science has shown us that um, you know, our, our brains are um, plastic, they're changeable, you know, we can rewire them. So if we keep thinking the same sorts of thoughts, we actually start to change our brain. Um, and also just to bring in um, David Hamilton, who I mentioned, who I absolutely love, he talks about we often think that stress, uh, the opposite of that is relaxation, but the opposite of stress physiologically is actually kindness. So we're talking about oxytocin. Um, so we can actually start to generate some of these things during there's so much going on potentially when we do a, a loving kindness meditation. So in the way that I teach it, we generally start with a couple of minutes of mindfulness meditation with the eyes open, bringing your awareness to your breath. It's almost, um, Cindy Lee talks about it as like a sorbet for the mind, <laughs> like a little palate cleanser um, to, get you, to get you in the zone, as it were, I guess. And then you bring to mind, um, you start with yourself. Um, and you bring to mind feelings of compassion and kindness um, for yourself. It starts with yourself. And you can, um, you can focus your mind on these thoughts or you can say them out loud even. And it's um, maybe happy, maybe healthy, maybe safe, and may you live with ease. And there are different variations on those statements. Um, so you bring to mind yourself and you bring to mind that, that compassion, that kindness for yourself. And then you turn your awareness to, and you do those same statements, but for different people. So you, the next, so the first person other than yourself that you do it for is someone or a being that you love unconditionally. So you bring that personal being to mind and you make the same statements for them. And then the next time you do it, you choose someone, it needs to be somebody in your life that you personally know, um, who you're having real difficulties with, who brings up 
a, a lot of different and actually sometimes it can be the same person that you love unconditionally <laughs> depending, <laughs> you know, on the day and how things are going um but you know it, you bring that person to mind and you make those same statements for them sometimes um because I always say to my students everything is an invitation and sometimes during this practice depending on where people are or what's coming up for them they might not be in a place where they're quite able to do that and that's okay there's always an option during the practice just return to themselves at that point but part of the practice is to is to do it with someone that you're having difficulties with as well and then you turn yourself your attention to a neutral person um so uh, might be someone that you might have seen on your dog walk earlier that day or at a shop you don't even know their name you can probably just about call them to mind um, and you make the same statements for them now um, that some some of the traditional practices end there but I quite like to normally extend it one last time to all beings as well uh, and send it out further and it's just a wonderful reminder that from well I find it a wonderful reminder that we all uh, we all want the same things. We all want to be safe. We all want to be happy and healthy and live with ease. We all want to find those things. Um, and even the person that you're really, really annoyed with or frustrated or whatever, it reminds you that they, they just want those things too. Um, so I love that about it. Um, it helps. I always feel, I don't always find it an easy practice, but I always feel a sense of peace after doing it. Um, and like all of the things, it gets easier um, with practice, I would say. And what's interesting as well, uh, what I quite like, we link it into some of the other Buddhist teachings. Um, again, because um, I did some of my training with Cindy Lee, she talks about we have the like attachment, aversion and ignorance. So we cycle through those things. You know, we have things that we like, that we're enjoying in our life or that we want, and we don't want to let them go. And we want them to carry on forever. And we have a version of things we don't like, we don't want to be happening and we just want to go. <laughs> and then we have things that we don't even notice uh, that we're, you know, it's not ignorance as in being stupid, just unawareness, I guess. And we have those same things within ourselves as well. We have parts of ourselves that we love, parts of ourselves that we don't, and we'd rather just <laughs> weren't there and then stuff parts of stuff that we aren't even aware of and if we think about the people that we're bringing to mind we're bringing to mind you know someone we love that we're attached to someone we don't like or a bit averse to at the moment or we're having difficulties with and then someone that we might have even been ignorant that we might not have even noticed so it helps bring those things to mind as well which i you know um which i really quite like that element of it too but i suppose at its heart is we're we're cultivating feelings of friendliness, love, compassion, and what we practice, we get better at. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely, like I say, not saying all this stuff, uh, I'm by no means perfect. Uh, that's why I do this practice. <laughs> and, nice. You know, we just have to, yeah, we just have to keep with the practice, I guess. And then you normally end the practice or how I teach it is we then come back to just focusing on the breath for a couple of minutes with the eyes open, reawakening mindfulness practice to come to finish it wonderful oh i love a, i love a meta yeah. yeah one of my favorites um two things came up usually with the um uh the attachment the aversion and the ignorance they almost mirror what's going on with us anyway so uh -huh. if there is something that's irritating 
us about that person it's probably because we don't like that aspect of ourselves anyway oh, Alex, so wise totally on the same page it's a mirror isn't it, it is yeah mirror. absolutely every um, single time and this is why i say it's not always yeah you know, these things aren't always comfortable and they're not um easy either but no. um but you are like basically i think there is a reward i know we talked about it's not about but it's not the kind of mm, reward but there's gold at the bottom of this isn't there basically. it really is you do come away feeling <laughs> a little smug you're like you know what i sent love and kindness to everyone today winner you come away feeling peaceful like you said absolutely and you do just feel a greater sense of joy and compassion within but there is that level of i'm great <laughs> i think i think you feel lighter for it I you do you yeah. absolutely do yeah, it's, it is wonderful. And sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, when uh, I teach it. So let's say I've got a room full of people laying down super still. And whenever they do the focus on either the person they're a bit adverse to or themselves, oh my gosh, the fidgeting ramps up about 10 times. It's so funny. You can tell that people are physically uncomfortable because of what's going on in their brain. That's really... And they don't like it. That's really... Yeah. probably more difficult to pick up on zoom but yeah having taught it in the studio many times it's it's weird but uh listening to you, your order is the way that I was taught as well but over my own practice of teaching I've changed it because I had so many people completely blocked and adverse to doing it at all because they started with themselves I don't want to do that to myself yeah. or there'd be tears there'd be tantrums there'd be walkouts they can't do it so often I leave that to last because people are then more open to it yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, oh, it's such a yoga teacher thing to say, isn't it? But if you find that part difficult, you really need it, don't you? I mean, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. I'm kind of a bit lost first because I think, yeah, I've been there too. And I just think, I don't know, why is it, Alex? You know, it's, I don't know why, why it is this way. It's, it's really sad, actually. It's very sad. Um, but we are conditioned from a very young age not to celebrate what we're good at, not to celebrate what we look like, not to be big-headed or I'm great, I'm amazing. We are taught from every angle, every aspect of society, and unfortunately it comes through how we're taught from our parents because of their parents and so on and so forth. You're not meant to be big-headed. You're not meant to love everything that you do and love yourself it's that's that's not what it's meant to be about life's meant to be hard and challenging and you're supposed to be a little bit grumpy the whole time but that's that's generations of belief and then everything of everything that comes at us through social media television movies everything is well you're not good enough and this is how you're going to be better yeah, and it's so bad for us. Um, I've only recently come aware again, um, was through, um, partly through Kristen Neff and her work on mindfulness, um, mindful self-compassion. Um, but actually, physiologically, it's bad for us as well. So mm -hmm. when you have that internal dialogue, that's you know, I don't know, say your inner critic is going, "Oh, you idiot! Why did you do that? Oh, you're so stupid." That actually, my understanding of it, I've got this right, is it produces a very similar kind of cortisol stress response in your body to if you know someone was doing this to you externally or you're being chased by a tiger in you know, the traditional kind of evolutionary way. So you're actually, you know, you're setting off that stress response in yourself with your own inner critic. That's so mm -hmm. damaging. Um, but again, that's the beauty of 
the mindfulness meditation because once you start to realize you're not your thoughts once you start to put some space in it gives you so many options you know um you know, and noticing that you do that is the, you know i think we we underestimate how important just that awareness is and once we notice that that's our little foothold in to change and go oh yeah okay. i noticed i'm speaking like that to myself again um but yeah i mean i have i have to say i haven't noticed um that with my students so much but whether that's maybe i mean i haven't taught for as long as you and also i tend it might be a um placement thing i mean I tend or maybe retreat type thing where I've probably taught it more at the end of quite a lot of practice. So there's been mm. like, as my, one of my teachers would say, digging the soil, you know, a lot of digging yeah. the soil, getting out the big rocks, turning over before you go there. And I think, yeah, I think it is, it is a hard thing. And also I have had the experience of, and there could be lots of reasons for this, but people that are maybe completely new to a class and perhaps they happen to have come on one of those days and they're like oh no this is not for me because it really makes yeah. them like oh no it's cringe really yeah cringe cringe it's kind of like I have reflected on that and been like but actually at the bottom of it all we're saying is I hope everyone's happy and healthy and well and I hope I am too it's kind of like why wouldn't you want that? that yeah um and I think like you say there's a lot of like societal stuff and it's actually quite a brave place to go and you know you might not be the right time for people sometimes you know and, no, go, and it's not and like you said at the beginning we have to meet people where they are um which yeah. is often why if i've got a room full of people who haven't done it before or even half a room full of people who haven't done it before i'll be like right we'll just we won't start with the self no, we'll warm it. them up into it i love it i absolutely <laughs> love what you've done there and um what is it Catna moran says about um you know try and treat yourself like you treat a puppy um, you'd be lovely to a puppy you wouldn't you know you'd make sure the puppy was looked after wouldn't you why treat yourself like that and if you can imagine yourself as a puppy I think it helps too <laughs> absolutely I don't know if you have this in your practices but someone will get the pose a pose I had it actually in a workshop on Friday night uh, it was an unbalanced workshop and one of the yogis within the class got crow pose for the first not for the first time but she struggles with it she has done for a while she got it and her best mate they do yoga next to each other all of the time was like yay and proper celebrated for it and the girl that just got it was like yeah but it wasn't for very long and I was like let's just celebrate what you did do if Emma had just got that pose you wouldn't say oh that wasn't for very long yeah it's no do what your best friend did yes <laughs> you know cheer and get excited and if you can start to do that to yourself instead of berating the good things celebrate the the little wins all of the time and that that makes such a difference to the way that we talk to ourselves definitely just yeah those little things like that just catching those little moments and just like yeah just like watering little seeds just keep tending them yeah yeah completely agree but we all do it. it's a lifelong habit i mean well, it's evolutionary, isn't it? From my understanding, like, what is that Rick Hansen quote? We're like, um, we're Teflon for positivity and we are Velcro for negativity. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And it is because um, to survive, to get us to here, um, you know, like we had to notice the bad stuff. If we were like, hey, it's probably not a tiger. <laughs> we got eaten and uh, we didn't procreate and we're not here. You know, um, as Wax it says, you know, our mind doesn't care that we're happy. It just wants us to survive. <laughs> yeah, awesome. no, it absolutely does. Um, and we have to reverse that. And if we're reversing that, 
we actively have to put more of the of the positive in uh, to counteract that the whole one I think understanding all of that for me it really helps because you're like oh it's not just me you know it's not then because I think otherwise you can be like the next stage that could be oh I just criticize myself oh I'm such a dunce for criticizing myself why did I do that and you're just it's just a pile on then isn't it so if you go oh yeah well that's just that brain thing that's just how I'm wired that's natural oh but now I can work that I think when you have that knowledge it's just so helpful well, it's as the Buddhists call it, it's the monkey mind, isn't it? If you if you label your monkey mind as the one that's always saying, tut, 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 silly, 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 oh my God, you're so fat. That's your monkey. And in my head, he's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, the, that's my monkey mind. And sometimes I just have to laugh at him because it's just, otherwise you just get stuck in this spiral and you go down and down and down. It's just the only way to break it is to laugh because you're like, what are you doing to yourself? Just laugh it off. Again, that comes though, all of that comes from that separation, isn't it? Knowing that it's not it you. No, it's your monkey, who <laughs> is probably a boy. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Uh, so at the festival, we finally got here. Uh, what are you going to be teaching your loving kindness meditation? Yeah, I am. I'm going to be teaching Maitri. Um, so what's lovely about that is we will go through um, the Shamatha mindfulness meditation technique because we're going to be using that as our palate cleanser. And because obviously people have been coming in from doing lots of other amazing stuff at the festival. So we're going to come into the Zen tent. We're going to go through that mindfulness meditation as our palate cleanser. We'll work through the practice and then we'll have our palate cleanser out the other side (laughs) before you're going released back to the festival. (laughs) Um, But we're also going to have a little bit of time at the end to talk about, you know, what I'm looking forward to is it's going to be tailored. So if you've never done it before, perfect come join us if you just want to tune up excellent as well but also if like you know wherever you're at with it you're like oh you know I do it once twice a week I want to make it daily or where do I fit this into my routine or how can I take a bit of this or I've tried that and I'm getting stuck here or stuck there we're going to have a little bit of time at the end to have those conversations which you you know I hope will be really helpful for everybody there Oh, it sounds so wonderful. So wonderful. So you said about your retreats and how you teach on retreats. Have you got any coming up this year? If people want to get in touch with you, yeah, how? tell me everything. <laughs> okay, so I'm really fortunate that I run um, these mini retreats, we tend to call them, with another lovely yoga teacher called Holly Bedford. She's also British Wheel trained. So we run them together and I think it compliment, we complement each other really well. Um, and we another kind of aspect running through our retreats always try and have like a kind of outdoor element although obviously we cater for the wonderful weather Um, last year we started them and we're going to do the same uh, we've got a summer series where we do three um, afternoons in the summer they're Saturday afternoons we've got one in July one in August one in September and they're at an absolutely gorgeous place called Cafe Como in Suffolk so um, we do them outside under little like pavilion tents and they the retreats involve breath work, posture work, meditation, relaxation. They also involve amazing coffee and cake. Uh, oh. We're not purist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have decaf, should you wish. Um, <laughs> or tea. <laughs> exactly. We cater for everybody. But um, yeah, and what we found is that also just having that break in the middle is a lovely way for everyone to connect because I think we've been mm. yearning for that connection more than ever. Um, and we ran one, an indoor one, actually around New Year, we were talking about San Calpers and things like that. And the students were able, you know, we didn't kind of um, 
we don't kind of it's not like we manage the breaks we just release people to the breaks but they were all chatting about their practice their San Calvary and they've kept in touch afterwards to keep each other on route which I just thought was lovely that's so, so nice opportunity to connect um and then we're actually doing our first day retreat in May, towards the end of May. And that's actually a beautiful place called Icon Barns, which is on the Suffolk coast. Um, so you've got amazing view of the estuary there. Um, and we've got options to be inside, outside, and the day is going to incorporate a uh, lovely lunch, um, also opportunity to do some uh, mindful walking and just be able to come together as well. So all of the info for all of those um, is on my website, which is katherinerolfyoga.co.uk. And you can find all of my stuff is Yoga. So you can find me on Insta, Facebook, the usual places uh, under that. And they're really suitable for uh, people wherever they are in their practice, because all parts of the practice, the meditation, the breath work, the posture, it's all staged. So I like, sometimes I don't talk about stages, I talk more about bus stops. Um, because you can get off at whatever bus stops right for you on that day and we're each at a different place each day so you, there's always a part of the practice for everybody basically wonderful oh they sound so nice I might give them a google myself actually those mini ones sound so fun yeah well it's sometimes hard for people isn't it to get away for a length of time so the Saturday afternoon ones are three hours um, or three and a bit hours and you know it means that you can do what you need to do in the morning because we're householder yogis aren't we um, yeah and then get back to do whatever you need to do in the evening but you've had that time for yourself um, the day ones are slightly longer adventure but again um, you know it doesn't involve overnight so it's just something that maybe just makes it accessible for people wherever they're able to practice and oh. that healing element of nature as well just being outdoors people just I've taught some outdoor classes last year people just love it and it's so good for us oh god totally agree yes can't wait for summer get me back to the park yeah lovely yeah uh this really has been a dream conversation Catherine thank you so much for coming on oh I've enjoyed it so much it hasn't um it's it's felt a pleasure good oh I'm really pleased thanks so much